Shabbat. Okay, there we go. I, uh, I got fancy this week. I got fancy. They let me wear a headset. That means I might legitimately be a pastor now. All right, so Ephraim is still under the weather this week, so I don't have props for my hands. And anybody who knows me, like my hands are constantly going. I'm constantly making like signals and all these kinds of things with my hands. And so I brought up, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the sermon, but I brought up a book that was given to me. Uh, it's a men's daily devotional uh, written by a pastor out of Cincinnati, Ohio, um, a multi-campus church up there. Um, and I've started to kind of go through this. Uh, I know it's given to me in December, so I'm, I'm about a month behind. Um, but it's about 66 days, and it kind of takes you through different areas of, of a man's life. Uh, some of the things that we struggle with, uh, some of the things that uh, for us are, are things that maybe ladies don't go through. But the whole premise of the devotional is about move. It's about doing something, getting engaged, whether that's in a certain area of your life, your spiritual life, your home, whatever. It's about doing something and taking action with your life. And so I want to uh, encourage all the guys, young adults uh, out there, uh, get engaged in your personal life. This is a good way to do it. This isn't the only one. There's a lot of great devotionals out there, but I definitely want to encourage you. And so Move by Brian Tomei uh, is the one that I've started to go through, and I want to encourage you guys as you're going through that to, uh, to maybe check that out. Um, I don't know what the website is. Apologies for that. Uh, it was given to me as a gift by my mom, um, but uh, so far I have enjoyed reading through that. We have a kids class today. Uh, which is awesome to actually see some of the families back. I know the flu and the respiratory and all that junk has been going around. Uh, constantly goes around when you're 30 something degrees one day and then the next day you're walking. Sanix, don't believe it's an act. I'm Kansas and I have offended you. Uh, well, since the Bible says that if I have an offense with another that I'm to go to you, I'm sorry that I have offended you, not from my statement. Because I believe my statement to be true. Changed my mind. So we have a kids class today. We'll be doing that after the, uh, after the blessing over the children. Um, Daniel will be doing the first five as well. For those of you who are new here, we are a family fellowship. And so we encourage the kids to actually stay with their family. If they're loud, if they're whatever, like nobody's, nobody's going to shush you. Nobody's going to tell you you need to go anyplace. Um, this is a family safe environment. We want you to feel safe here. We want you to feel like your family is welcome to be in the worship service with you. You absolutely are safe to worship as a family. However, if you decide that you want to get a break, there are two rooms. The room right there does not have sound, but it does have visual. So if you don't want to listen to me today, and some of you might be in that position, that might be the right room for you. Where you can see me, you can be a part of it, but you don't have to hear me. If you want to hear me, but you don't care about seeing me, that's the room over there. So uh, we have two rooms. Both have comfortable chairs. Both have privacy if you're nursing or you have a toddler who wants to play or whatever. And you're absolutely welcome to do that. Um, we do not have a time of offering. 
during our service. We believe that the Lord will lead you as the Lord wants. Um, that's what the temple is here, uh, pushka, whatever you want to call it, offering basket, even though it's not a basket, offering structure, uh, if I want to be correct. That's there as the Lord leads you to do so. Uh, but right now, as the Lord leads us to do, let's go ahead and stand up. Let's find somebody that maybe we don't know. Let's welcome them, say Shabbat Shalom. We're going to start off with some worship and then go ahead and get into a time of study.
Mark 9, verse 14, it says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes at his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelievable generation, Yeshua replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you and bring the boy to me? So they brought him. When the spirit saw Yeshua, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at his mouth. And Yeshua asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Yeshua, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Yeshua saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The evil spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that he said, he is dead. But Yeshua took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Yeshua had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this week. We thank you that you have given us more days on this earth, more breaths, more time. Father, in the Apostles, in the book of Mark, we just read how you spoke of the power of prayer, how you spoke of the power of exalting you, petitioning you, the God of all creation, the God of Israel, the Elohim of Israel. Father, right now in our city, in our community, in our family, we have those who are struggling and still battling the flu and still battling respiratory issues some have been battling it for over weeks. They're tired, they're weary. Father, the NyQuil, the DayQuil, the sinus medicine, Sudafed, all these different things, none of it's working. So Father, humbly as a body, we come and we petition you that you would reach in and you would restore their health. You would restore the Judah family to full health, Father. You would restore those who are still battling. We ask humbly before you, Father, and petition you in your kingdom that you would restore your people. Ariana Foster, Father, I don't know all the details of, of this mass she has in her stomach, but you do. I don't know anything about this surgery they're going to have to perform, but you do. 
I don't know anything about what James and Orpha are going through right now, spiritually, emotionally, but you do. Father, we don't have the, the ability on our own to heal her. And so we ask you, Father, that you would guide the doctors. You would give James and Orpha wisdom. You would give Ariana peace. You would prevent any work of the adversary in this situation. And that you would be glorified out of the testimony of faithfulness. That you would be glorified through the work, whether it be through the doctors you choose to use, or whether you choose to use some random person, or whether you yourself choose to reach down and heal her, Father. the glory and the honor would come back to you and you alone. Father, we continue to lift up Joyce. We continue to lift up those who have been struggling. Patrice, those who are struggling every day with physical ailments, Father. We lift them up to you. We lift them up to you. And at the same time, Father, we come before you and we rejoice and we praise you for the birth of Rabino's little baby. We praise you for the work that you're doing in our midst. We praise you for the testimonies of the miracles and the times that you have stepped up on our behalf, Father. We praise you for the small things, like being able to have a place to meet every Sabbath. We praise you for the small things by being able to have a roof over our head and have food on our table and clothes on our back. Father, we just praise you. Because too often, Father, we come to you in prayer and we need your help and we don't ever stop to acknowledge the fact that you are Lord and you have always been working on our behalf. So, Father, right now we praise you and we acknowledge that you're always working on our behalf. And while we can't necessarily see all the times, we thank you because we know that you're working for us. We know that you hear us. Father, in the times that you're teaching us to be patient and wait for the response from you, please give us that patience, Father. But most of all, Father, please continue to mold our hearts. Mold our hearts and make them be more like you. Mold our hearts and make us more like the remnant you have called us to be. That we would spend this time before Pesach, this time before the spring feast, and we would just search our hearts Father, clean it out and renew our spirit with inside of us, Father. Renew us. For you are the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. There is nothing too big for you. You are the one who conquered sin and death. The one who was one who is and is to come. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come, move freely in this place. May everything that is said and everything that is done, Father, may it be honoring and glory to you and you alone. Light our steps and anoint our lips with your words. For it's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen. All right, little ones, it's that time again. Time to bless the kiddos.
that's more like it. It's looked a little sparse here the last couple of weeks. I am so glad that all of you are over sicknesses and everything else that's been going on. Because it is good to see all of you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these wonderful, beautiful children you've placed in our midst. Thank you for the example that you've given us through them. Thank you for giving us the example of saying, do not keep these from coming to me. We thank you for the hearts that they have and, and how they don't have the, the social trappings that we uh, develop as adults and that they, when they want to pursue you, pursue you with everything they have. Father, may they lead us by their spiritual examples, with their exuberance, their uncontained, unbridled joy over you. Father, may that exuberance impassion and embolden us as we walk with you each day and as we instruct them in your ways. Father, we pray that your blessing would be upon these children, that uh, your hand would be upon them, that you would guide their steps every day of their lives. May you bless the young men like Ephraim and Manasseh. May they be fruitful. May they multiply. May everything that they apply themselves to be successful for your kingdom. Not by our measure of success, Father, but by your measure of success. May they be incredibly successful. And Father, we pray that the young ladies would be like Ruth and like Esther. May they be faithful to you. May their testimonies of faithfulness be spoken of for generations. May they not depart from you all the days of their lives, but instead, may they pursue you with everything they have. We thank you, Father, for these children. And for how wonderful they are. And we pray that you would guide us in leading them. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Master, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. And kids, you may be released to kids' class. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, okay, so for the rest of you, Shabbat Shalom. Okay, thank you. That's, that's much more like it. All right, so uh, this week's readings, uh, parasha, it's one of the smallest uh, letter parashas that we will find all throughout Scripture. It's two letters, Bo, a bet and an aleph, Bo, okay? And the interesting thing about this is that the word Bo can either mean come or it can mean go, okay? Uh, in this scenario, it means go. In other words, get yourself up on out of here, okay? This is what Pharaoh says to the children of Israel because what took place here is that we see that the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth plagues take place. And in this, of course, we know that the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn. And with the death of the firstborn, of course, the, those that were not a firstborn male were not under any threat. That's the thing we typically don't think about, okay? As a firstborn male, I'm the oldest of three boys. I'm the one in that scenario that was at risk. My two younger brothers, they weren't at risk. So the question is, was there a firstborn male in the household? And if so, did they apply the blood to the doorposts? And if not then they suffered this plague, okay? 
But in this, we see that the firstborn, if you look up firstborn in Scripture, you're going to find there's tons of references to the firstborn. You see, the firstborn, it carries a lot of significance with it. The firstborn is intricately intertwined with Pesach because Pesach has been instituted for us because of this association with the death of the firstborn. Now, this firstborn pattern is established early on. Yeshua was the firstborn of the Father. It says in Psalm 89, verse 27, speaking of David, my servant, I shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, David wasn't the Lord's firstborn. So who could he have been speaking of? We see also in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 and verse 12, it says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Adonai. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Do homage to the son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. We see that it's the same concept that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, when he refers to Yeshua as the firstborn among believers. In his letter to the church at Colossae, in Colossians 1, verse 15, where he calls Yeshua the firstborn of all creation. In three verses later, in verse 18, and repeated in, in the book of Revelation by John, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, where Yeshua is referred to as the firstborn from the dead. See, being the firstborn of all, Messiah should be the one taking preeminence in our lives. He is the example. He is the leader. He's the one that goes forth first before us. He is the one from whom we should be taking our cues. Speaking of the firstborn, there are scriptures in which Adonai calls Israel his firstborn. And those are the same scriptures that those that are anti-missionaries among the Jews will say, see, these scriptures that are, you say refer to Messiah, they're actually referring to Israel. Well, why did he choose the Hebrews to be his firstborn? Why make the distinction between the Hebrews and the Egyptians in this scenario? If not for Adonai's covenant devotion to Abraham to Yitzhak and to Yaakov. There was little separating the Israelites from the Egyptians. They come from basically the same type of cultural context. It was only by His grace, through the blood of a sacrificed lamb, that a distinction was made between those that suffered and those who were set free. We must keep in mind that it's not by obedience to Torah that salvation is merited. We all begin life no different than an Egyptian firstborn. We must accept our Pesach sacrifice, Messiah, and apply His blood to the doorposts of our hearts in order to be protected from the destroyer. It's necessary to understand the story of the Passover lamb if we want to fully grasp the gospel message. In the same way that the Passover lamb was required to be an unblemished and spotless lamb, we need a sinless substitute to take our place in judgment. 
in the same way that the blood on the doorpost protected everyone in the house, we need to apply the blood of Messiah to the doorposts of our hearts. Just as the firstborn of those who did not prepare a Passover lamb were struck down, so those outside of Messiah are without hope. May we never forget that Yeshua paid the price to redeem us from our slavery. As the firstborn of our Father, His dwelling within the heart of our home grants us the opportunity to enter into obedience to His Torah, free from the obligation of our sinful natures. And He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son to be that firstborn of all creation, to be the firstborn of the dead, that we might have a promise that death is not the end, but that we will be resurrected unto new life, just as we just sang about. If it were not for your son, we would not have that promise, we would not have that hope. And yet, by applying the blood of your son, to our hearts and allowing His blood to cover us. We are protected from the one who would come to steal, kill, and destroy. And instead, we have the hope and the plan to be resurrected unto new life and to dwell with You in all eternity. Thank You so much for Your plan, for Your good news that we have a hope and a future to spend our eternity with you. We thank you, Father, for your great sacrifice on our behalf. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. Amen. Daniel's story time did not wake you up. I was definitely going to make sure that I woke you up. How's everybody doing? Good. Shabbat shalom to you once again. Anybody who knows me personally knows that it pains me to have my laptop up here. I like clean. I like neat. I like modern. I like no messes. But this morning, I plugged in the iPad and the iPad did not want to resurrect. It's trying to. It's been trying to for about two hours. But uh, then Cam and Matthew made the comment that I dressed in all black today, so I look like I'm Steve Jobs. And then Steve Jobs just didn't want that iPad to come up. So instead, I've upgraded to my laptop. So I know that means nothing to you guys. You're like, ah, oh, who cares? It doesn't matter. Whatever. So. Sarah, you're very animated today. I like that. I am appreciative of that. That makes me feel like you're actually paying attention. So probably since I, you know, made fun of your home state to start off with. Well, that's okay, because today we're going to talk about looking for hope like most of the people who live in Kansas. (laughs) Too far? Too soon? Okay. We're going to go through the book of Haggai today. 
This is a book that I can honestly say I have skipped over multiple times. Uh, uh, it's one of the small minor prophets that are in there. It's not very long. In fact, uh, on the Bible that I came up here with first thing this morning when I was reading back through my notes, Haggai didn't even take up a whole page. It's a tiny little King, New King James. And so Daniel was nice enough uh, to make fun of me and find me a Bible that actually took up just about a page and a couple of paragraphs. So now I can actually read it, even with my glasses. So I appreciate Daniel being a good friend to do that. But this week... I was kind of having some conversations. I was kind of talking to the Lord about some things. You know, anybody who has been a part of the Messianic denomination for any years knows that we have struggled with our identity. Not in our identity as whether we're Israel or whether we are a part of of God's kingdom. But what does that mean? What does that mean? How do we not grow weary in that identity? How do we walk out that identity? There's been conversations all over the place. Sometimes it's, well, are you allowed to participate with a a Sunday church while still going to Sabbath? Sometimes it's, are you allowed to participate in your families with some of the traditions that are not biblical traditions, they're just annual traditions that families do. Thanksgiving, um, Veterans Day, Valentine's Day, all over the map. And some people, this is never an issue. It's not, but for some people it is. And as a movement as a whole, in the last 13 years that I have worked in this movement, I've seen it countless times. Now, I know a lot of people, including Daniel, myself, and Ephraim, who have worked in ministries in this movement to try to help answer those questions. And sometimes it feels like all those answers are in vain. Sometimes it feels like the attempt to to restore the balance of authority to the homes is in vain. Because sometimes it feels like they just want somebody to stand on the pulpit and tell them what to do. They just want somebody to stand on the pulpit and tell them this is okay or this isn't okay. And then on the flip side of that, they don't want anybody to ever stand on a pulpit at all. We should just meet in our houses. We should just meet in there. I honestly believe the answer is in the middle of all of those things. I don't believe, and I believe we're going to see here in the book of Haggai today, I don't believe that the answer is yes exclusively to any one of those answers. If God has called you into a home church or a house church, go. If God has called you into the city and all you're doing all week long is missions under the bridge with the church that meets for the homeless under the bridge, go. If God has called you to a Sabbath-keeping fellowship or ten of them, some of you, some of you got like membership cards to all of them. Nothing wrong with that. Go. Why? And I'm going to give away a portion of, of my ending, but I'm going to do it when I'm not yelling because most of you who know me know I get fired up towards the end and I yell and I stop just short of hopping around the stage because I'm deathly afraid that my six-foot-six frame will tear an Achilles. So, yeah. Nasty, right? Have you seen a six foot six guy go down like crazy? Just like, eh, it's not pretty, is it? Do you ever want to see it again? Okay, thank you. I'm with you. I don't want to ever see that again. But the Bilka Haggai ends with Israel focusing on the greater kingdom, the prophecies of things to come. That's right, I'm going to talk about a little prophecy today too. Never thought you'd see the day I'm going into the prophetic. We're going to talk a little prophecy today too because ultimately the book of Haggai talks about the new Jerusalem. talks about Mashiach, 
from the line of David, Mashiach ben David. It talks about Israel coming back from exile. In a lot of ways, if you want to look at the current Messianic movement, the book of Haggai speaks directly to us. In a lot of ways, this is, I feel, our story. I can put myself there seeing Joshua, Zerubbabel. I can see them all. But let me give you a little bit of context in the Minor Prophets leading up to the book of Haggai. Before the book of Haggai, basically the prophets of Israel have been warning Israel, the Hebrews, the Israelites, that by breaking their covenant with God and continuing to break that covenant with God, that God was going to bring the Babylonian Empire. Now at that point in time, it was the Babylonian Empire who was the superpower of the day. Um, I guess if we were to say, um, trying to be as politically correct as humanly possible, if we are the modern-day Israel, an extension of that, don't think I'm replacement theology, I don't need no nasty emails, but if we are, if Israel and the United States are a modern-day superpower, it would be like a Russia or a China in modern day. The Babylonian Empire had that type of influence, that type of, of regard in those days. And so the prophets were warning Israel that if they continued to break the covenant that God had given them, if they continued to, to go through their various idolatry ways, through injustice, through the immorality, through the things that were going on, that if they didn't change, that God was going to hand them over to the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians were going to come in, they were going to take care of them. Well, at that point in time, as we start to pick up with Haggai, that's exactly what had happened. In 587 B.C., they had spoken heavily about repentance and about hope and the belief that God would one day bring them back. The book of Haggai is that bringing back. Because at the start of the book of Haggai in chapter 1, the year is now 520 B.C. It's almost 70 years later. God had already allowed the Babylonian Empire to come in to destroy Jerusalem. Jerusalem laid in ruins. Um, how many of you have seen images of paintings of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem? Very, very beautiful. Rico Cortez actually has a new app out with virtual reality that goes through some of that era of the temple. It was a beautiful and gorgeous temple. It, 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 it is so pretty. In fact, if we had one of those sitting in the middle of Norman, we'd probably be driving by and saying, man, they got too much money in that church. That's how pretty it was. That's how beautiful it was. Well, that temple's gone. It's destroyed. It lays in ruin. Seventy years after that, the Babylonian Empire had crumbled. And the Persian Empire had come up. Now, the Persians weren't as bad as the Babylonians. Because the Persians, while they didn't completely take control over the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Persians said, you can go back. If you so choose and you want to go back to the land of Israel, you can go back. And so a remnant did. A remnant did turn and return to Jerusalem. Now, think about that. They left Jerusalem. We, we, actually can, we can actually kind of understand a little bit about what they were going through. Because we have tornadoes that come through here every couple of years, and they just completely wipe out more. Just wipe out more. All those beautiful shops, all those beautiful movie theaters, all those things that are there. Yeah, that wasn't there like five years ago. 2013, it came in and wiped it out. In fact, it was that tornado that led to the ability for my family to stay in Ephraim Judah's house during Camp Yeshua because 
their house was utterly destroyed and leveled by that tornado. That tornado, by leveling that house, allowed them to get into a larger house and thus they had area for us to stay. So it was that tornado that leveled that portion of more that allowed for my family to develop a relationship with Ephraim and Lauren Judah, which ultimately led to us moving to Oklahoma about a year later. So we know, we see, tornadoes will go through, they'll destroy everything that's there, and then when you come back, when you're allowed back in there, there's like nothing. That beautiful movie theater where you're sitting there having an ice cold beer and you're watching a movie and you're kicked back eating a slice of pizza, the things that you never got at the movie theater when you were a kid, yeah, now it's just a heap of movie posters. Tom Cruise lost his legs flying with some shattered two-by-fours. There's no beauty in that. It's destruction. Well, that's what the Israelites are walking back in the first chapter of Haggai. That's what they're walking back into Israel. Now, it's not all the Hebrews. It's not all the Israelites. It's a remnant of them. All my, all my Messianic friends love that word, remnant. It is a portion of them, not all of them. It's a portion that decided to go back. So they're walking back into to Jerusalem, and the temple is gone. The temple is in ruin. And what do they do? Well, I'm actually going to read. I, I love the fact that I'm looking out, and some of you have your Bibles out, and you're following along in the book of Haggai as I do my story time. But I'm actually going to read some of this, because in the book of Haggai, it starts, and it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, and I'm just going to call him Gen Z. He's a General Z to me, because I don't have the gifting that Daniel has. I can't pronounce all these names, and I'm not going to stand up here and start spitting all over the place. So we're just going to call him Z. We're going to be good. We're going to move on. Thank you, guys. That is a blessing. I love that you guys work with me on that. So Haggai to Z, the son of S., Governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josadak. That one's not as hard. I can, I'm working on it. Be patient with me. I'm on a journey. He was the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the, house, the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your planned houses while the house remains in ruin? So they've come back to Israel. They've come back to Jerusalem. Everything is laid in waste. The first thing they do. Well, come on. This is logic. First thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to go back and rebuild the movie theater. I'm going to go back and rebuild my house. I got, I got five people, five kids in my house. I've got to rebuild my own home. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go find some beautiful shiplap. I'm going to find some awesome bronze I'm going to find a soaking tub, some subway tile, and we're going to shiplap this up, and I'm going to build my own house. Well, this is exactly what Haggai is saying. He's, is it time to build the Lord's house yet? No, we're busy building our own houses. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody? Anybody ever feel that way? I mean, I can go to the Panda Garden in a buffet, and I can eat and eat and eat and eat and never fill I could kill some chicken fried rice and never be filled. 
There are days when I'm working outside and it's hot and I can drink as much water as I want, but I still feel dehydrated. I still feel thirsty. Uh, anybody in the room feel like no matter how hard you work and how much money you make, it always seems to go in one and out the other and it's just gone? Anybody ever feel like that? Oh, wait, hold on, wait a second. This Bible is only about stories that happened a long time ago. It can't be relevant to us today. I don't know. I feel like that. No matter how hard I work out, no matter how much I starve myself, I still can't hit my goal weight. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever found a solution? Okay, so she's teaching next week. She found the solution. We're going to have a health, health meeting next week. You expect much, but see, it turned out little. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you in the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces. On people and on livestock, and on all the labors of your hands. So the Lord has said, because you have chosen to act this way, because you've put in your priorities here, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to dry this all up for you. I'm not going to allow the ground to produce the food, to produce the animals, to produce the livestock, to produce the things necessary in an agricultural society for you guys to thrive. So not only were they working against themselves because it said before that that they were working and working and working and nothing was happening. They always felt like they were short on everything. And then the Lord says, I'm going to dry it all up anyways. Keep working, but I'm going to dry it, dry it all up. So, here comes Haggai. Here comes Haggai. And he says, hold on, wait a second. Wait a second. We've got to refocus ourselves. While the Lord's house lays in ruin, we're more devoted to our own house. Isn't that backwards? We're wondering why we're not being blessed. We wonder why we're not overcoming these things in our life. We wonder why we, we have freedoms, but we don't feel free. And Haggai steps up like most prophets. Most prophets in the Bible... Most prophets in the Bible will not predict the end of the world or doom and gloom. Most prophets are telling you to do two things. Repent and have hope. One is, one's a little harsh. One's a little harsh. I mean, how many of us really like to be told, repent? Daniel, I call you up one day and I'm like, Daniel, the Lord has spoken to me and said, repent. You're like, okay, dude, what'd I do? It's like, but don't worry, I have hope. Most of us wouldn't take that right. We live in a culture now where, where that would be called offensive or it would be incorrect for us to do so. But that is primarily all of what the prophets say throughout the whole entire Scripture. Prophecy in the Bible is about doing two things, repenting and having hope. repenting and having hope. If you're reading the prophets of the Bible and you never think about what you need to do in your life to repent, you miss the mark. If you read it and all you read is doom and gloom and how you're not strong enough or you're not good enough or you're not doing something or this is the end of the world or everything is going down and that's how you leave it, 
You're missing the mark. Two key elements to prophecies in the Bible. Repent, have hope. Because in repentance, we have hope that the salvation through Yeshua the Messiah will allow us to enter into the kingdom of God. It will allow us to be found worthy on the day of our judgment by the kingdom of God. Now, while Haggai is talking to them and accusing them of putting the emphasis on their own homes and not on the kingdom, he actually is referencing back to the covenant again. Again, covenant is a big thing. So he's actually referencing back to the covenant in Deuteronomy and telling them that they are in what's called a covenant rebellion. They're rebelling against the covenant of the Lord. Now, this is interesting because before we even got to Haggai, the reason why they were exiled is because they rebelled against the covenant of the Lord. Through idolatry, through injustice, through these various different things. And yet here, in the first part of Haggai, they're starting to work on their own houses before they're starting to work on the temple. And God is, and Haggai is warning them that they're doing exactly the same thing. Seventy years after they went to the exile, after the actual, like, ramifications of their idolatry now they turn from their way they put the emphasis on the temple and they started to work together to build the lord's house not their house so again to shuva repentance they turned from the way they were going to focus on the lord's house yet in chapter two we see that Haggai has to come back and address his, the, the people of Israel again. And the reason why is because we talked about Solomon's temple and how beautiful it was. How beautiful the Warren, Warren, Warren Moore Theater is unless it was hit by a tornado. And then it's a pile of rubble. And then let's say you're just trying to build it back as quickly as possible. Well, that's what happened with the temple. So they focused then on building the Lord's house in chapter 2. But it wasn't as glorious as Solomon's temple. It didn't have all the same gold. It didn't have the same fixtures. It didn't look the same. And they became discouraged. Again. We're working, we're working, we're working. God, you told us to stop working on our things. Now we're working on your things. But this isn't your house. This isn't the house that we saw. This isn't what we envisioned. This isn't your house, Lord. This isn't Solomon's temple. And they become discouraged. They started to lose the drive to develop the temple. So Haggai draws from some of the previous prophets, Isaiah, some of the ones that the Israelites would have known about. He draws from the previous prophets and he talks to them about the promises that the prophets have said are to come. Do you not remember do you not remember? Have you, have you lost your mind in 70 years? Have you lost your mind? Have you forgotten the fact that God promised that He would rebuild the temple, that He would bring the exiled back to His kingdom, that He would build the new Jerusalem, and Jerusalem would be a praise in all the earth. All the nations would come out of that place in God's house and recognize the power and the authority of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not only that, that the king from the line of David... Mashiach ben David, who we know as Jesus Yeshua, would come forth from there and would rule the whole entire world. Um, is that not the messianic prophecy? 
It calls it the Messianic Age. Go listen to any Christian commentary out there that's worth its salt on this book, and they call it the Messianic Age. Messianic Age. That's the, that's the prophecy. That's the hope. That's the things that they were talking about. That's what Haggai has to keep going back to. And here we sit today in our own little quarter of the Christian world as messianics. Messianic. Now, I don't know, if we're, again, if we're two days away, we're 20 years away, we're 10,000 years away. I have no idea. But that same hope still applies. That same hope still applies. That's a messianic prophecy. Now, the book of Haggai, in all its wonderfulness, is only about four months long. You know, a lot of times when we're reading the Bible and we're thinking about like, well, how long did it take? And we hear about 40 years and we're like, man, 40 years, everything changes in 40 years. This was four months. The whole entire book took place in four months. All this being brought back, building their own homes, being turned around by the prophet Haggai, starting to build the temple of the Lord, being discouraged that the temple of the Lord doesn't look the way that they thought, that it's not operating the way that they thought, and then having Haggai to come back and motivationally speak to them and jump on a stage and say, Hallelujah, God's going to reign in His temple, only because they're just like, Oh, woe is me, it's not the same temple. He then continues about two months after he has been able to reinvigorate the Israelites. To work towards the temple. And again, the temple is becoming very close to being complete at this time. And he continues two months later talking to the spiritual leadership of that day. And he sets forth a parable about ritual purity. Referencing back to the book of Leviticus. And he says that this is the generation. And if this generation doesn't humble themselves, turn from their injustice, their apathy... That everything they build with their hands will be impure too. Finish the temple. Finish it. Go build yourself this beautiful soaking tub and shiplap in your house when you're done. Doesn't matter. If you don't turn from these things, everything you built is going to be impure. I won't bless it. I won't bless it. He encourages them. Haggai encourages that leadership of that day to go through true repentance and to be, remember the faithfulness of the covenant. And that will bring the blessings of the Lord through their labor. Ultimately, Haggai does what a lot of good motivational leadership will do. He basically lays the future in their hands and says, is this what you want? Is this what you want for your kids? Is this what you want for the kingdom? Is this what you want for Israel? A bunch of mopies walking around the temple of the Lord where all nations will come. Some guy comes out of Britain and he's like, oh my gosh, this is the temple of the Lord. You're like, not as good as Solomon's temple. You got kind of the Eeyore personality for those of you who actually watch good cartoons when you were a kid. Eeyore. He puts it in their hands. And he basically gives them a similar challenge to what Moses gave the generation in the wilderness. There's a recurring pattern throughout Scripture. That we constantly have to be motivated as believers to keep our eyes on the prize of God. To have hope in God. To continue our faithfulness to God. To the obedience of His Word and the promises that He had. 
And that if this generation is able to turn from their ways, if they're able to, to remove the impurity, to remove the apathy, to remove all of those things, that that success of that generation in that temple will bring about Mashiach ben Dovi. As a Christian, greatest thing that's ever happened to us is the death and resurrection of the Messiah. Hands down. It's a life-altering time in all the earth. Something that transcends time as we know it. It is the ticket to get back to the Garden of Eden. It's the only one God has given us. Not getting back on your own. Not getting back on your own merits. Not getting back on how well you keep the Torah. It's only by that ticket alone that you can be granted salvation. The Torah cannot grant you salvation. God can grant you salvation. God alone. Which is why I absolutely believe that Yeshua the Messiah is God. He was not mere man. He was not some like royal. He was God. Because if He is not God, He cannot grant you salvation and your hope is done. Because it says in the Scripture, God alone can offer salvation. Now, I'm not Haggai. I'm not a prophet. I didn't have some like burning bush experience. But I felt strongly this week as the Lord led me to a book I had never read in the 38 years of my life. 37 years and and months. Don't want to lie from the pulpit knowingly. I felt that He led me to the book of Haggai for a reason. I felt He had me read the book of Haggai for a reason. And I feel like I need to speak to you guys directly today as one of those generations. One of those generations who knows Yeshua as the Mashiach ben David. Who knows the life of Yeshua, Mashiach ben David. The ones that know of the obedience that was asked for in the book of wisdom, the Torah. The ones who have forsaken all logic and rationale of this world to keep a Sabbath day. The world right now is telling you to work harder, work longer, work faster. So to defy the logic and the rationale of mankind to stop and take a day of rest, a day of, of, of focusing solely upon the Lord, it defies all the rationale of this world. To honor the feasts of the Lord. To those who have grown weary, to those who have grown tired, and those who have been looking for hope that the promises of God in their life are still true. I don't have any special words, but I want to repeat the words of Haggai. Stop building your own houses. If we truly are the messianic kingdom to come, even if we're the first part, even if we're the early bird registration, even if we're the ones who got in because we called the radio station and won free tickets, even if we're those people who are on the front lines of that, if we truly are starting to see the regathering of the messianic kingdom, that's what we're seeing. With the hope of being a new Jerusalem where all of the nations of the world will bow before Yeshua the Messiah. And the decrees for the whole world will come out of Jerusalem. You won't go on the internet and you won't find this person's calendar or this person's name or, you know, the, the evangelicals are writing about the Baptists. So the Pentecostals are now mad with the Methodists. All the decrees will come out of Jerusalem from the King of Kings. That's the prophecy. That's the promise of the Messianic age. 
For all that continue to work and have nothing to show for it. For all who continue to drink and are still thirsty. For those who see little fruit from the denominations that you participate with. Maybe you see little fruit in your own life. For the congregations that you have attended for many years that you've sown in with your time or your finances doesn't look like the one that you envision it it should be. Your motivation is waning. You're weary. You have issues with your spouses. You have issues, spouse. I almost went all polygamy here. Uh Uh-uh. You ain't allowed here. Daniel would be more than happy to debate that topic with you anytime not today. <laughs> with your spouse, with your children. You're going to multiple children. This isn't China. With your finances, with your co-workers. You cannot control the past. And you need to stop trying to manipulate your future because God is in control of your future. You can only control the things in your current present. Your reactions to the things that happen to you. How you spend your time. How you spend your money. Whether you allow that person to get to you or not to get to you. You can only control those things. This moment, I feel the same way that most of you do. I got questions. I don't have all the answers. I see good, I see bad. Sometimes I'm completely on fire for God. Sometimes I don't know if God's even talking to me. Sometimes I believe that we are seeing revival in the hearts of people in this country and around the nation. And other times I feel like it's just going to hell in a handbasket. Sometimes I see people who I believe are going to completely revolutionize love joy and peace and patience and the fruit of the Spirit in this generation. And other times, I see a lot of people who have no idea what they are. And no idea how to put them into their life. I too have felt the waning motivations and the questions that are my labors in vain. All the disagreements I have with coworkers and peoples at churches and my, my mom, my dad, my friends, the, the relationships that I ruined, they didn't ruin, I ruined, by starting to keep the Sabbath, by starting to eat kosher, by homeschooling my kids. Some of them aren't even just necessarily religious things. They're just changes we made to our life because we believe that's what God called us to do. Moving to Nashville from Ohio, moving from Nashville to Oklahoma from Ohio, where all the family is. Decisions you make in your life, I have felt that same way. Were those decisions right? Did they bring any fruit? Is there going to be any fruit? Anybody have answers for how we solve this? Because I believe that God has already given me the answer, and this week I believe I found the answer to those problems. I've found that we have placed our own desires over the desires of the Lord. Me too. I'm not preaching at you. 
It's just very hard for me to be down there and here at the same time. So God kicked my butt before I got up here. We've placed the desires of ourselves over the desires of the Lord. I've gone to multiple churches recently, talked to a lot of people, and what I hear is always the same. Well, I wish their coffee would be better, or, you know, their child care at their 845 service, it's not the same as their child care at the 1030 service. If you were to take the word church out of the majority, not all, but the majority of the complaints I have heard, you could be talking about a shopping mall, you could be talking about a coffee house, you could be talking about almost any non-religious venue you go to. Almost any non-religious venue you go to. This place, any church, is not about you. And it's not about me. It's not. Any place that you come to worship the Lord should be just that. That's why I started off by saying earlier, it's about the Lord. If the gathering of individuals in a house church are talking about the Lord They're praising the Lord. The Lord is there in their midst. Go. Fellowship. If a Wednesday night Bible study, the Lord is in the midst, and you're meeting at Del Taco, go. Because it's about building the Lord's house first and foremost, not our own houses. It's not about building an HFF brand that's going to promote me. I don't make a dime. I'll say that till I'm blue in the face. I don't make a dime. The day it does, we should shut the doors and all walk away. Had a chance to talk to uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Glenn of Timber Creek who meet here on Sundays. It's not about them either. They want to see Jesus be glorified in this city. And they're willing to do whatever the Lord tells them to do to do that. If they're not glorifying Jesus to the city, they need to shut down and walk away. Those types of people who would be considered modern day prophets, and I'm not calling myself a prophet, I'm not calling them, I'm talking about the attitude you need to look for wherever you're at. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It could be somebody whose home you're going to meet in. You're looking for the attitude of a leader who says, stop building your own houses, build the house of the Lord. Stop building your own house. Build the house of the Lord. Stop building your own name. Build the Lord's name. Whether it's in a home fellowship, it's in a church, it's in a Sabbath gathering, whatever it is, it should be about the Lord. We have to remember that a journey is just that, that it is a journey. It's not a dash. It's not a seven-year plan. It's not a five-step program. It's not a deal of the century, but it is a deal of a lifetime. Because ultimately, if the promises of the Bible are true, there is nothing else. 
Everything else was a step by which to get to the Creator's ultimate plan. If you do not have hope in the ultimate plan that the Lord has spoke and spoken about, you'll never find hope anyplace else. It's a plan that focuses on the redemption of all of Israel. The regathering of all of the believers of God to Jerusalem. And the reestablishment of the throne of the King on this earth. Remember, Yeshua cannot be Messiah if He's not the King of this earth conquering the death and the adversary on this earth. Father sent His Son to destroy the power of death that we fell into so that the king of light would always rise above the king of darkness. We need to be a generation that places our hope solely upon the promises of tasks that no human being can accomplish on their own, just like we read earlier in Mark 9. One that was given to a remnant of believers. And we should be always looking for who God's bringing in the remnant. We shouldn't be walking around like we're the gate patrol saying, oh, do you have your remnant card? You're not in the remnant. We've been doing that for too long. We don't get to choose who's on the team. God does. The book of Haggai makes it clear. All of Israel will be saved by Mashiach. And our job is to go and build the new Jerusalem. Our job is to build the kingdom on this earth so the king has a throne to reign. Our job is not to, to say, sorry, contractor, I know God told you to come be a part of this, but go away. We need to continue to focus on the hope that was given to us in generations long before us. 520 B.C. 520 B.C. is when this was going on. And they were talking about Mashiach, Ben David in 520 BC before Christ 520 before Christ Mashiach Ben David and here we are in 2020 still here and we're talking about Mashiach Ben David you have to find your hope there if you don't find your hope there then everything is not going to work out in your timing and go find something to hope in hope in the chair until it breaks Hope on your car until it breaks. Hope on your hair until it falls out. Hope on your crow's feet under your eyes until they become bags. That's what the world tells us we're supposed to do is to continue to find our hope in the things that are temporary around us. Things that were never designed to give us hope to begin with. Things that don't provide any type of restoration to us whatsoever. We must stop striving to tend our own gardens by the power of our own hands and stop looking for hope in the things that were never developed to give us hope. We must renew our calling with a vigor that we haven't seen in years to see the kingdom of God be restored to this earth and realize that the things that we're constantly trying to put our hope in are leaving us empty. They're leaving us frustrated and they're leaving us waning. And ultimately, they will be the things that the adversary uses for us to continue to attack other believers. Magazines out there calling for whether people in office or people in positions are saved, whether this church is doing what's right or not. Worry about our own church. Worry about the temple that God has given us and the community He's given us. 
Let them worry about it, and then let's come together collectively. Pretty good at noticing the plank in somebody else's eye without looking at the speck in our own first. It was a very interesting political cartoon put out this week by Babylon, Babylon B. I won't try to get too political. I'll just stick with the innuendos from earlier in my sermon and just tell you, go look at it. Adam Schiff in a plank. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. The book of Haggai makes it abundantly clear that we are not alone. We're not the only generation of Hebrews that have potentially lost our fire or maybe lost our direction or maybe are focusing on things that we don't see. We see that in, in almost every body of Christianity today. But we must examine our body just like the prophets did. The prophets examined the bodies of Israel. The gatherings of believers, they examined them. Told them to weed out and repent for the things that needed to be weeded out and repent. And then to reinstill the hope in them of the future. We need to call for better standards. Call for the Holy Spirit to utterly destroy the narrative that we have been sold. That on our own we have the power to accomplish all the things we desire to accomplish. We don't have the power to bring Yeshua back. He's going to come back when He wants to come back. We don't have the power to walk up to somebody and save them. We have to put the effort in. We have to put the effort in to build relationships, to work the soil, to build the temple. In Romans 15.4, it says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instructions. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It's not taught a lot. Start to keep the Sabbath, dietary laws, stuff like that. We teach a lot of things. We're very smart. We know more about our Scriptures now than we probably ever did. Whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. Anybody going to argue with that in here? That all the Torah and the prophets was written for instruction for us. Anybody going to argue that? To whatever degree you put that in your life? I didn't think so. Here's the part that I want us to focus on. That through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. You have hope tomorrow. You have hope today. That if you walk into your job on Monday and you get canned, God already knew. He's already got a plan. You have hope. The moment you've lost your hope, you've lost your desire to develop. Yourself, those around you, your community, you lose hope. Needless to say, if you would be in a position where you would take your own life. If we grow weary now, and then I just want to end on this before we pray. If we grow weary now in the 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we have on this earth, let's put that into perspective. 520 B.C. is where we started this story today. 
Maybe you have 100 years on this earth. Maybe you have 100 years. Maybe not even that. In the 100 years you have a breath. In the 100 years of goods and bads, wins and failures, in the 100 years you have on this earth, if we grow weary now, how in the world do you think you're ever going to get to the part that everybody jumps and screams about and says, Mashiach comes back, Messiah comes back, Jesus comes back, and for all eternity we worship Him. For all eternity we praise Him, ceasing, without end. Without end, we're going to praise Him. Oh, well, that's easy. They'll just give us a new body, and that new body will be wired better or whatever. We were made originally in the image of God. If we can't endure for the 100 years we have on this earth, if He gives us 100 years, some of us don't even have to endure that long. Some of you only got to endure 30% less than that. If we can't endure for the promises that God has given us and the life that He's given us on this earth, how in the world do you think you're going to be able to endure for all of eternity when we can't even quantify that? We can't quantify it at all. And I don't mean to be rude, but for those of you who no longer believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, rapture, they're they're both really dangerous. Let me tell you, if you ever see a pre-tribulation raptor, you need to run. <laughs> They're both dangerous. Man, now I'm thinking about Jurassic Park. The pre-tribulation raptor, that's a good one. Can we get a t-shirt? Can I wear that one time? I can laugh at myself. But for those who no longer believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, who believe in a, a mid or a post or the, the greater exodus or whatever, whatever your eschatology view is on that. There's a lot of similarities in believing that we don't have to endure. We don't have to stay encouraged. We don't have to continue to persevere for the hope. Because God's going to come back and take it all away. Paul says otherwise. He says we must endure. We must find hope. We must find our faith in order to keep the covenant that we have made with God. I've been in the Messianic movement for 13 years. Before that, I was an evangelical, I was a Baptist, I was a Presbyterian, I was a Nazarene. I was an atheist for a period of time, right around my 18s to early 20s. It's very easy to lose your hope. It's very easy to say, nah, I don't want to endure anymore. I don't want to endure eating healthy. I don't want to endure being nice to people. I don't want to endure the things that God has put me through. But at the end of the day, if we're not able to endure in this life, how do we think we're going to be able to praise Him in the next one? If the hope truly is, is that the new Jerusalem will come down and be established here, and all the people, even the dead, will be raised and will come to Jerusalem, all nations will come and bow at the feet of the Lord. Are we going to be crying? Because we can't endure to get to Jerusalem? 
Because God didn't give us the wings we thought we were going to get to fly over the ocean? If we really want to set down and break down all these prophetic things, the hope to come, there's a lot of things that we don't have answers for. We were never intended to have answers for. So we hope that the Word of God is true in our life. And we endure because we believe in that hope. The moment that goes away, your body is shutting down spiritually. If you have no hope, your body is shutting down. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary. Let us not question God. 66 A.D. was the first first time in recorded history that they predicted Mashiach was coming back. 66 A.D. It's 2020. Many, many generations have been looking for the return of Jesus. Many, many generations have been born and have died out. And Jesus has still not come. Does that make his word false? No. It makes your expectations false. God is not defined by our expectations. Our expectations of God do not matter to him. Our obedience to God matters to him. Our trust in God matters to him. Guys, once again, I love this devotional. I'm only a couple days into it. It's super easy, super quick. It's not like it's not like sitting down and you've got to write the whole Hebrew manuscript or anything. In fact, I'm pretty sure this guy is not a messianic anyways. But um, so far, I like it. It's encouraging. Move by Pastor Brian Tomei out of Cincinnati. A nice little daily 66-day devotional you can go through all about working with God and God working with you in your life. Don't give up your hope. Endure it to the end and get engaged. Wherever God's plant you, get engaged. Because it's about building His temple, not building our homes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to have a place to come, to meet, to gather, to study your word. And Father, we profess that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, we profess that we come in and out of our obedience, our hope, and our faith with you. You know that, Father, but we confess that to you today. That just like in the time of Haggai and the ancestors of ours before, your kingdom so that we can help usher in your kingdom on this earth, just like you told us in, in the Lord's Prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to have other breasts, to turn it around, to refocus. And Father, I ask that 
today we would leave with a renewed sense of your work in our life. That we would work constantly to develop our relationship with you in our hearts. For it's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shabbat live stream. We pray that the teachings and the worship were edifying to you, but most importantly, Please rise for the Aaronic benediction. Adonai spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto Aharon and to his sons, and tell them, In this way shall you bless the children of Israel. you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Oh.